And welcome to a Friday edition of the Dice Are Screaming. Oh. Hey, how you doing out there? Hope you had a good weekend. Of course, we're headed to the weekend, so that can't be bad, right? Oh, no, not at all. Huh. The weekend is, well, our gamer bailiwick. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully you got some games lined up, and if not, well, you can stick around with us and hopefully gain some exciting new information and perspectives on your game. But uh, we want to talk a little bit about our Bards episode last week. Ah, So excellent. we got some nice compliments from that. Uh, we find people from Wheel or Woe podcast, which, yeah, we just gave you a plug there, bud. Wheel or Woe. <laughs> We're else? saying. But uh, he said that uh, Bards don't seem to get their fair shake in gaming, and that's partially true, I think. Uh, because it's easy to make fun of somebody who brings a guitar inside a dungeon. Yeah, and I'm a guy who has played a lot of fighters over the years. Uh, a lot of fighters and rogues. Uh, and you know what? I came off my high horse, played a, a few bards in recent years. Not uh, not historically, but uh, in more recent times I've played a few. And I've gotten a lot of satisfaction out of the flexibility of the class. So I, I really wanted to just give them a highlight <laughs> for just one moment and say, Hey, you know, I, I, I know there's a lot of jokes. You know, this is not a useless character class, and it's got a wonderful, rich history and a lot of flexibility in the way in which you present a bard now. Mm -hmm. So, thanks. Yeah. Glad you liked. Also, uh, a shout-out tonight to Hideous Laughter Podcast. Thank you guys for your kind words as well. That's HLP. No, HP Lovecraft. HLP. Oh, now there's some hideous soul shredding from the dark side. You know, yeah. Uh, So... Hideous Laughter Podcast, thank you very much for your kind words, and there's a little shout-out to you guys. And also to Carl, or Olson. I think I got Olson right? Yeah. Maybe I did. Um, He's been talking about uh, my gamer advice of the day, which I give out on Twitter and on my Facebook page. I just kind of give a little little limerick or a snippet. You know, try to make it small. But, uh, you know, today's uh, gamer advice got some uh, heat, so... I like that. I like to hear some uh, feedback off of that. And what we were talking about was skills and adjudication of those. But uh, we're going to get into that because that's going to be tonight's topic. Yes, that is tonight's topic. Skills, proficiencies, and the slow evolution thereof culminating in the way in which they are easier and more interesting to adjudicate. There are better tools now than there used to be. So we'll we'll touch on the old and then we'll jump into the new. Right. Um... Well, starting from the old days, I mean, what did you have? You had a, maybe nothing. I mean, you had no skill resolution system, <laughs> unlike, you know, RuneQuest that came out right out of the gate with, you know, it was based primarily on skills. Yeah, there were uh, notes in the DM guide, the original, that implied character backgrounds and provided for uh, the possibility of familiarity with various trades. Uh, and so you could assume as a DM that there was a level of competence there that was at least minimal. That's all you got. You got nothing else. Uh, a, yeah. a page on specialists that covered the uh, trades and crafts of various people you could hire, but nothing on how to adjudicate any of it. Now, look, I'm not going to chase anyone around a stick of the room that likes it like that, but I'm going to say that for me it was unsatisfactory at the time. And... You know, I wasn't there for the original edition, but I was there for first edition, and I thought it was a little lackluster. They gave us secondary skills, which 
you know, there was a, I forget the percentage that, like, no measurable skill of worth because it was seen that that was your character class training and whatever. And, okay, I'm on board with that because if you would have, say, been a basket weaver, you probably would have stayed in uh, the village of Hamlet and wove baskets all day. Yeah, and, uh, and more importantly, uh, no measurable worth means basically that it'll never have any impact on the game. Uh, it's like, repair this basket or the elf gets it. <laughs> ah, ah. Ah, at long last! My family skill has come through. Yes. Ah. I... Thank you, mother and father, for the brilliant basket-weaving skills that allow me this day to save this elf's life. No, yeah, just never happened. There was no resolution. And slowly in the first edition, uh, people began using stuff like, okay, I try to you know swim across this uh, against the current. Okay, make a strength roll. Roll die 20 and roll under your primary strength stat. And uh, yeah. Well, I have 18 over uh, 92% strength. Does that help? Oh, uh, no, you have the same percentage as the guy with 18 base strength. Yeah, we, oftentimes we'd base stuff off of, uh, if it was strength-related, the bend bars, lift gates, or the open doors skill. You yeah. know, we'd just throw those out as, as random. Uh, checking against an appropriate ability score was another alternative. Yeah, I want to jump from, you know, over a pit or from one swinging bridge covered with green slime to the other. But this was very much based on DM preference. This was not Canaan. This was not listed in the books. There were no clear charts. We just had to exercise our own judgment at random. It was a pain in the butt. Yeah, but hey, we dealt with that because we walked uphill both ways to school every day through eight feet of snow. And you forgot the bears. We oh, had, yeah, I forgot to fight. Yeah. We had to fight uh, the bears. And, and wampas and tauntauns. Wow, we were on a unicycle. Yep. So. With a smoking chimp named Rex. Oh. You I had a much different experience than I did. I probably. don't know where that came from. All right. Well, we're just going to go with that. Uh, continuing on. Uh, first, and slowly, uh, first edition started coming out with first and Oriental Adventures and then through the Dungeoneer and Wilderness Survival Guide. Non-weapon proficiencies. Now, you spent weapon proficiencies or something of that like on them. Oriental Adventures had a much more in-class system for it, but the Engineer Survival Guide came out with uh, one system, and Wilderness Adventures was a little different, but yeah. more or less the same. They were all uh, rolling against the stat with a penalty or bonus, and okay, that was a little bit better. And second edition would come out, and they would have as an optional system the non-weapon proficiencies, which had an in-character uh, system for determining how many non-weapon proficiencies you started with. Yes. And uh, progressed through as you rose up in levels. And those were to be distinguished from weapon proficiencies, which were an entirely different yeah. thing that were left intact. Uh, but you at least had the option on the table to cash in points on various skills. Not that it went smoothly, because honestly, at that stage, people who had been playing 1st Edition had become comfortable with not having to invest those kind of skill situations in a game. So, unless you took time out to handwrite in challenges like that, there was no meat on the bone for a player to invest in those skills. How often are you going to use that cartography skill? Or, uh, well, you're a gifted astronomer, but the ship already has a navigator. So, you know, it just... It seemed a little useless at the time, but but that was the groundwork. Well, yeah, it was the groundwork, and I want to cover a couple of things in that. They did put diplomacy and a couple other useful skills in there that 
When diplomacy entered the game, it changed a little bit of how D&D played. Mostly, you role-played your character and added or subtracted a charisma penalty or bonus. So, you could make the most eloquent speech this side of Gettysburg address yourself, but if your character had a six charisma, you had a penalty. <laughs> so, you know... Uh, Four score and seven years ago. Og not like! <laughs> Smash! Right. Yeah, if you were playing a half-ogre fighter, yeah, those existed. Yeah, and you had a four charisma. Oh, boy. You're not the party talker. But that's not what you're here to do. No, no. Uh, Hulk smash. You're there to show what Mama or Papa Ogre <laughs> you're gave one, you. You're here to back up the people who are doing the talking. And when the talking don't work, the smashing begins. Yep. Yeah, it was... A loosely applicable system, and there were a few skills that were that were pretty viable. Yeah, and were like diplomacy. To use that, uh, go back to that example real quick. Was it now took place uh, for a lot of people of actual role playing, which was never meant to do. And of course, some people just you know, well, it's diplomacy, so I made my diplomacy check, so everything's fine. Um, no, it improves them to a different uh, degree of attitude. It shifts their attitude from maybe hostile. To neutral. And you, of course, it was still based off of attributes, so it was a charisma check. But it was still unwieldy, and for some people, they felt it took a little bit out of role-playing. Now, here's one of my uh, jibes at using, letting players use their own resources. Uh, I sometimes stumble over words and mispronounce things. Uh, that is the case in point of years of hits to the head, half-remembered uh, ideas and half-baked clues on what to do and what to say next. Sometimes I can uh, drift into a perfectly normal conversation and then be confused where I'm at. That is part of the problem of growing older. But uh, I had, for a while, the gift of gab. Now that this cat sitting across from me has the definite eloquence that I lack at times. But if he were to make every roll... Why would he have to invest any points in charisma if he could just roleplay the situation out? And that's where the stats and the penalties come in. Is if you're, you're playing a character that's not very well spoken, even the best laid ideas and best explained notions fall flat when it comes out of the words of a bumbler like me. Oh, well, I've played a lot of fighters in my time that were not great on the brain train. Uh, <laughs> most notably, Yoru of Ket. Yes. <laughs> I shall not forget you. Ah, as much as we try. Yeah, the, the man who, I wish I knew what to wish for. Ah. <laughs> oh, never a bunch of dirtier glares from a party than after that phrase was uttered ah, and the wish was spent. Well, ah, that is the essence of role-playing, but you're right. There is a core difference. Um, you can thread the needle on this. It doesn't have to yeah. be all or nothing one way or another. You exactly. Can have you can have skill points and uh, or ability scores and test against stats, and the player's chosen action should be reflected in like, how, how skillful of an approach are they making towards this. Is this just a horrible idea or not? But it sh neither should absolutely trump the other. Like, if they got an 18 charisma and they try to talk their way out of trouble by saying, give me what I want... Uh, well, you know, that's just not going to cut it. 
Yeah, if you're not going to back it up, if you're not going to try, then, you know, if you're just, if you're at a loss for words, and some people are, some people are not very eloquent, and they uh, stumble when approaching the mic, coming up and saying, oh, what, what, what should I say to this guy? I Everybody is careful when they approach the mic. Yeah, that's not uh, but Yeah, oh, well. We're talking about a microphone, but oh, hey, oh, not mean okay. to trigger you there, bro. All right, so, <laughs> yeah, when getting in front of the microphone or in the spotlight, some people freeze up, understandably. Oops. My bad. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they dropped the ball. And um, sometimes the diploma, having the diplomacy proficiency was a good way of getting players like, okay, your character is very eloquent and makes this nice worded approach and speech. And carefully coaches their expressions in a way that makes them seem both approachable but also firm in their demands. Instead of saying, give me what I want. That's an eloquent way of putting it. And using that kind of as how can I put this better, is a way that just makes it flow. Okay, That comes from experience, and it comes from a little bit of understanding how basic interactions work. But diplomacy is one of the tricky ones, and it does rob a little bit from the game. So never let uh, the non-proficiency role, as my rule for a second edition, using that to take away from actual role-playing. If somebody could role-play well, I would obviously give them a great bonus. Not too high as to make it inconsequential, but also well enough that they felt it. Yeah, I mean, they could deliver a stirring speech, and I would be happy to modify the roll in their favor. Uh, however, rolling a one is still a bogey. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, man. Well, no, remember, in the proficiency system, rolling a 20 was bad. Rolling oh, a one Yeah, was back in the day. And so that was the great thing. So now we'll transition to where you were leading off to earlier, which is 3rd edition. Now, 3rd edition came out... And now it was skills. Okay, boy, did you get a lot of skills in 3rd edition and 3.5 shortened them up and Pathfinder even tightened them up further. Yeah, but uh, I gotta say, as I had mentioned during our Edition Wars episode, uh, I, I came in with a bad attitude, uh, honked off about learning a new edition, but as time went on, I gained a lot of respect for the simplicity and clarity. Uh, the concept of a appropriate difficulty number that is a means by which DMs measure how complicated or how extremely difficult a particular action is, and then penalties and or bonuses are applied for circumstances as you see fit, uh, but the framework was there, something that a DM could yeah. apply to almost any situation, and that, uh, even if I came on board late, uh, it, it's still true that that was a huge leap forward in making DMing more approachable for a wider number of people playing the game. And I'm all about seeing a wider range of people taking on DMing. Uh, it's, it's actually encouraging to see so many people able to have the tools in their hand and go out there and give it their best shot. Yeah, and Pith, like Pathfinder, Pith Edition tightened the, the uh, skill set up even further, and it's still optional by the way, if you want in 5th edition. But more to the point, if you use skills, uh, you invest a little bit into your uh, your character, invest a little bit into their backgrounds with them as well. But you have more control of how your character develops, what kind of skills they have from riding a horse, to spotting traps, to uh, making clay vials, if that's what they're doing, pottery and such, or you know, even just... Uh, being diplomatic or a good liar. And I think it's important 
than the new editions from third on, that there's a difference between diplomacy and bluff or deception. Yes, they, they have been careful to distinguish these as different skills. I well, mean, and also intimidation has always been a part of that as well. Yeah, diplomacy is not so much an act of deception. It is uh, a mixture of eloquence and clarity and understanding how to uh, frame a conversation in a way that is pleasing, uh, yep. depending on who you're dealing with. You're, it's knowing your audience. On the other hand, bluff is more like your, your base con artistry. You're, you're savvy, uh, try to get your way out of trouble, pass off a bogus excuse that somebody really ought to be suspicious of. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, officer, I, I was sure I used that turn signal. Of, like, you know, not, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know why it wouldn't be working. It was <laughs> working five minutes ago. Well, yeah, bluff is kind of telling them what they want to hear versus what you want them to hear. And, you know, that's kind of convinced them in that middle ground. Now, as Mike just said, you know, uh, we're going to concentrate a little bit on the social skills, but I want to get back to the core principle before we return to this fully. The core principle of the skill resolution system is that you roll a die, you add a applicable number and modifier, and then, you know, you uh, move on with, you know, do I fail or do I pass? Now, some of them, you're going to know immediately whether you do. Uh, so I disarm that trap. Oh, yeah, you completely think you disarm that trap. Until you walk through it, and then it does, you know, 72 points of lightning damage to you because it's oh. a logical, magical trap, and you didn't have the proper skill. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay, so sometimes you don't have to tell players they fail. Now, don't be a jerk about it, because this is where, as uh, Carl Olson Barnum, bias. He claims that uh, he uses Alexis of Tau, which, you know, you know I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Uh, think what you want about Alexis of Tau. Uh, I've read his blog for years. Uh, he, there is a reason why he is mocked highly you know, across the Internet. But if you find uh, wisdom in him, I think that that is appropriate, because... Hey, you know, the guy doesn't come from a bad place. He's not trying to fool you in anything. I just think that he's well worried about things that don't really have a practical application, per se. He mentions specifically in this argument about bias overcoming uh, players' needs. If a player has every right to expect to succeed a role, you should tell him that. And I absolutely agree with that. Um, you shouldn't make also roles so that a player just fails. For instance, if somebody's going to break into a place... And it's not super important, but it's part of the story. Like they're going to break into a merchant's house, and they just want to leave an incriminating bit of evidence. And that's the scenario we're going to approach. Uh, let's talk about using what skills. Well, obviously, there would be stealth. Involved. Probably some lock opening. Okay. So maybe a disabled device, maybe a perception or check or two. Yeah. Detect a... Uh potential trap or tripwire or alarm and right. then neutralize it. Okay. Now let's say there's a guard there. So that would be maybe a second stealth roll. All right. Okay. So Fair enough. Uh, sneak past a guard. You don't want to set the player up to fail. And what I mean is just, okay, we're going to roll the dice until something goes wrong here. But each one of those, okay, so you break in the place. Uh, let's say you're going to roll stealth to get close or break in the place. And then maybe a perception roll to find a trap or any obvious guards and you spot the, the guard. And then you can try to sneak past them. But there you go. That's the player's advocacy of his character to say what he's going to do. Maybe he'll approach the guard. Maybe he'll try to assassinate him or take him out quickly. Any of those things are appropriate. So let the players decide. But let's say that adjudicating the roles, like opening a lock, obviously if they're going to open up a lock, they're going to know if they fail or not. 
but maybe there's a trap there. So did they check for traps? That's where we uh, will catch the player. Did you yeah. check for trap? Oh, the needle stabs right into your thumb. No need to roll because you didn't. Yeah, and uh, this one, old school, let's be candid. This is a classic DM moment of glory. Uh, when the player made no effort to indicate that they were searching for something, you have no obligation. Now, if they've made a good face effort uh, indicating that they are looking for traps at every turn, that, okay, every single door and or chest I open in this next hour, I am checking for traps first. If they're super candid about it and they come right forward and put that on the table, okay, I'm, I'm a little... Yeah, we're more. not going to play gotcha. I, I'm okay with that. Now you didn't say, mother yeah. may I. Exactly. I, I'm not going to be completely obstinate about this. However, <laughs> however, however, if they have not done any kind of uh, pre-indication of that, I have no obligation to tell them what's Now, if they have the class ability like uh, Trap Spotter and all that, that allows them to do it, well, give them that. Yeah, of course. Don't oh, take sure. that away from them. But, uh, you know, so they check for the trap, they find a poison needle, then they disarm it, and do you tell them they dis that they disarm the lock or not? Okay, let's assume that they fail to disarm it. Okay? There's, now, you'd let the trap go off as normal. Okay? I might allow a... You know, as you look over the lock as you're picking it, you, know, you find that it's not unlocked if they rolled high enough. Or maybe I just say, you know, you, you notice nothing unusual up until the moment that a... Uh, thick pins jabs you right into the thumb. <laughs> Make a saving throw. Uh, and if I, you know, if it was, if I was in the midterm of it, and it was a simple lock, and I just didn't want I mean, a simple trap, I might give them, you know, it rolls to hit you. You know, the plus ten. You know, man. That's okay. why every rogue I play has some degree of toxin resistance. <laughs> and thick leather gloves. Don't forget that. <clears throat> well, uh, you know. Thick leather gloves. When you're picking those locks, they give you a bonus to your AC to be hit. It was just a little telling you right there. And also a bonus on those poison saves because, well, leather. Yeah, a little bit of time in between you and whatever is coming at you, too. Huh? It rubs you it off. But, so all those things went ahead, and now getting back out, you know, you might, might make a second stealth roll. And, you know, then that skill resolution task is done. That's how the system is meant to work. Um, there are obviously many ways to interpret that, and Alexis of Tau is exactly right to say that you should not force players into a situation where they don't know whether they fail to succeed. I maintain, on the other hand, that a certain amount of judgment, carefully uh, ascribed from making it interesting, also looking at the dice rolls and interpreting them, and keeping the players on their toes, is always important to maintain a certain balance of tension and make it an interesting game. But you never want to screw players over. Now, if somebody gets cocky and says, oh, I can make this roll. You know, the only way I can fail is I roll a one, and they roll a one. You know, maybe I will let them fall into a cage of uh, rabid man manticores in full mating season. Yeah, it's not off the table. But I like that, owed to the fact that the new systems involve a pretty clearly defined level of difficulty that can be numerically indicated, and then corresponding bonuses are applied, uh, you can gauge degree of success and degree of failure. 
uh, you know, they're off by a couple of points. Uh, maybe they don't quite get the job done, but they skate out of it unharmed. Right. Not everything blows up in your face. Like, oh, you back away at the last second and this isn't going to work. Um, on the other hand, amazing, robust success, you know, by a factor of more than 10 points uh, than what you needed, uh, can be reflected in descriptive terms. As the DM, you can right. give a glowing description of how excellently they did this, and if there are any witnesses, if other people are watching, uh, you know, they can just execute this move with a little bit of flourish. Yeah, like and acrobats, acrobatics has a immediate... The player will automatically know whether they have failed because they're flat on the floor, or they've succeeded when everybody lifts cards up with corresponding numbers. Yeah, you know, they, if either they uh, lost it on the dismount and just pow, face plant, uh, and everybody holds up a little one, uh, or uh, they executed it perfectly with a little flourish right at the end that just, ah, yeah. Uh, and everybody Jazz holds hands. up a 10. Yeah. Jazz hand. Yeah, everybody helps up from 10, except for the evil priest who gives you a 1.2. Because that's the way they roll. But, yeah. So, there is something that you're going to know whether you fail or not. And that's using the rules as intended. Where you kind of get into the boundary of some speculation. I like to look at it with two, with an eye towards efficiency, which means that you do it just like Mike says. Uh, right there, so eloquently. With a bit of flourish and jazz hands. Or... You know, it's just done so quickly that it's not even a task to worry about. You know, you, you succeed in disarming that little uh, poison lock trap and, you know, the chest pops right open. Bing, you're done. Um, two, opportunity. You fail, but failure is not always the end of it. You know, okay, yeah, you get stung by the poison needle trap or you fall flat in your face. But now there's a whole list of options that you can roll into. Now, okay, you can make another acrobatics roll to spring up. Unbidden, or if you are a monk, you know, just jump right up from prone. Uh, there are a lot of different things that can happen at that moment, and that's where you have to use a little bit of adjudication. Now, again, don't go overboard and try to ruin somebody's day just because they got a bad roll, because that happens. They miss it by a few points, you know. Maybe give them a little wink and a nod. Something clicks, but you don't think you disarmed it, or you're not certain what happened. You feel less than confident. <laughs> Don't be afraid to put that in no, there either. I, I, here's a way I described a couple of back-to-back -back really good roles. I hit a guy with a couple of acrobatics checks. He was playing a duelist. He was in a hallway facing polearm-wielding opponents. Ooh. Uh, and the guy just not only rolled the absolute best possible on his first roll, he maxed out the second roll right in front of me. And I just looked at this like, wow, back-to-back -back perfect. Okay, you know what? I'm going to let him have this one. And I had him use his blade to bind up one of the polearms and then swing the polearm so that it caught the other two polearms. These hobgoblins were three abreast in the hall, marching towards them. And he pulled all of their polearms down. Then stood on the end of them. And when these guys went to jerk their polearms away, he vaulted up and tumbled into their midst so that he was now fighting with a close weapon inside their ranks. Uh, and I let him have it. I just, okay, you know what? Let's, let's give this guy something to go home tonight remembering. Uh, it's the, the moment of heroic awesomeness, uh, the Princess Bride-style 
fight scenes. You know, those are the things that people are having go on in their head. So use robust successes to describe a moment much like those. Yeah, and going back to the example of the diplomacy and bluff and all that, let's say you had, this is where the efficiency, you know, you just, okay, you bypass that encounter or that obstacle. Efficiency versus opportunity, where failure. So let's say you're trying to, you're a rogue and you're trying to break in to a well-guarded castle instead of just... Uh, I know that happens to me all the time. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you're there to rob a particular item. So you come across the guard, you can't sneak in past, or you fail your stealth roll and you're spotted. So then you try, okay, I want to use bluff on the guard and bribe him. All right. So you offer him a bag of gold. Now you as a dungeon master know that this guy isn't going to accept anything less than 30 gold. You know, that's his bottom. 50, you know. Yeah, 50, he's going to look the other way. Screw that. Oh, yeah. He's bought. And he's staying bought. But you, you give him 10 gold and you go, and the player rolls poorly. You just look at the player, and you, you can be perfectly within your rights as a DM and say, oh, yeah, he takes your gold, and he steps aside, looking at the stars. So when you go. Now, later, the guard returns with the officer of the watch or whatever and some reinforcements and corners you. Now, at this point, you now the player now knows that the bluff check or the bribe the guard failed. What was the difference between letting him fail right off where the guard draws his weapon and attacks the bard now or uh, the uh, thief, excuse me. Or letting them get further into the uh, area of where they want to be, and now are cornered by a more numerous obstacles of opponents that they can't quickly overcome without raising an alarm. Now, what is the difference in that? That's efficiency versus opportunity. If they roll well, that just would have happened. Now it's opportunity. They have to think in their feet again. Now the bluff check can be used again. Yeah, this is where you talk your way out of trouble creatively. It's, it's time to... It, it doesn't have to be a closed door, like they failed to roll and swords come out. Uh, you can be subtle as a DM. It's not unfair to do this. Right. Oh, like the, the guy who... What is it? Uh, he was trying to charm his way into getting an Assassin's Guild to sell him uh, powerful poisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy, that didn't happen. Yeah, it did, it, you know, it very nearly lost a player character there. Uh, he thought he succeeded. He thought things were going great. Uh, but they were really looking at, you know, like, wow, this guy is just volunteering to fill a ditch with his body and our pockets with his gold. Yeah, but I paid him 5,000 gold pieces. <laughs> oh, yeah, you pay him all you want. It ain't going to change his mind any. Yeah, I, you know, you realize that giving these away is a death sentence. I'll make it worth your while, I promise. <laughs> Okay, if you're insistent, meet me on the edge of town after dark. <laughs> oh, yeah? Okay, I do. What happens next? Oh. Well, what do you mean? I paid him 5000 He's evil. He doesn't believe in he's, fair play. He's an evil poison monger, and you're out there alone at night with 5,000 gold. gold <laughs> what did you think would happen? I thought he'd honor a bargain. <laughs> oh, oh, you sweet summer oh. child. Oh, yeah. Jon Snow, you know nothing. Oh, uh, okay. See, sorry, Game of Thrones references off the rails there. But, yeah, that's that's all we're talking about there is leave a little bit open. Now, it doesn't mean that just because the officer of the watch and the bribe guard and his cohorts are there now that you should just master the player. Indeed, if, 
if they stumble and fail, there are consequences to them. And, of course, now he can also just retreat. I mean, retreat is an option. Yeah, bolt out through a window, you know. If he's uh, got a potion or two, you know, uh, many times we have uh, spent those um, hard-earned gold pieces on potions of glibness and invisibility, just for such occasions. Now, if I botch this roll, I'm totally drinking this potion and ditching this place. Oh, yes, and the filter of glibness, or, oh, no, wait a minute, it was the, uh, what was the other... Uh, no, it was the filter of glibness. Yeah, filter of glibness. I held on to that for like half a campaign, just waiting for yep. one special occasion when I would use it to make the impossible seem completely plausible. Uh, yeah, uh, it's light reflecting off the waters of the lake and captured by the swamp gas. It's totally the light from Venus being refracted through the atmosphere and then recast yeah. down at you. What you witnessed here was not a thief trying to break into the king's vaults, but instead, Chewbacca is a Wookiee, and Chewbacca, being a Wookiee, comes from the planet Kashyyyk. Therefore, I am not the, ro the droid you are looking for. I am indeed a rogue on my way out of this palace. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, obviously, totally invoked the Chewbacca. Yeah, old school, filter of glibness, uh, one of my favorite toys Yeah. Ever. I, I clung to that dearly. I was sad to see it go, but it got used for epic Ill, you know, epic mayhem. So <laughs> epic I was very proud of myself. Well, yeah, that, but there you go, Carl. That's the bias we're talking about. Just have fun with it. You know, if, it, it, if a failed roll intensifies the or, difficulty of an encounter, so be it. Don't use it to bludgeon players, though. That's never the intention. Yeah, I, I don't want to lock doors to them like, oh, well, a roll went south, so their entire mission here is scrubbed. Like, yeah. that's it. You just lost this session. Everything is... One all failed, failed stealth roll, you know. Uh, uh, you you're, can, you're screwed. You know, the guards are just going to kill you. Uh, and you can certainly throw that at them if the situation is highly appropriate for that. Uh, you know, breaking into an evil place with a lot of armed guards handy. Yeah, all right, they may make an attempt on your character's lives. But, but as me and Mike just put out here... But look for the next opportunity. Yeah, and that's, as we put it out here, make it fun. If they can come up with a good way for a bluff, you know, like and fail to stealth roll, you know, one of the guards investigates and find, oh, yeah, boy, I dropped this pot of uh, Stu, you know, the Lord's going to be upset. Don't say anything, okay? You know you know how edgy he is at night when he doesn't get his midnight snack, right? <laughs> and just let the dice roll where they may on that one, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll just uh, go back to my guard post and uh, ignore this whole thing. This is why my rogues are always eager, you know, to uh, steal liberty for, from people who belong in a place. Uh, yeah. But, no, no, I'm just a new hire. Didn't really know what I was yeah, doing. I haven't seen you around here before. What are you doing here? Oh, did I get the wrong hallway? Oh, man. I, look, I'm already late as it is, and you know what happens to people who screw up on his uh, Chip's watch. I really, I, I gotta hurry. I'm yeah. so sorry. So that's what we mean by opportunity. <laughs> and when you use skills, you know, let's be grateful if you don't use skills. That, you know, your G DMing skills can adjudicate most things with a simple roll of fail or not fail. You know, just a die six, one through four, you fail, you succeed if you're well skilled at it. Five and six, you fail, no matter how skilled you are at it. You know, I've seen that done too, and that and that works fine. Okay, nothing wrong with that. If that's what you like to do, I am just in the camp of like I've always enjoyed having a full set of skilled, so I know what my character is capable of, and it helps me develop the character as I level up and advance them. 
Oh, and in the more recent edition, skills have become very important factors as far as making uh, adventures that call on different requirements from the players. That, uh, you know, one segment will have them being tested skill-wise uh, and proficiency-wise, and then another segment will have them in toe-to-toe -to -toe combat, and then a third segment still will be more investigative and dependent yeah. on them, not so much rolling as thinking on their feet. Uh, a great adventure or a great campaign will involve moments of all of the above popping up here and there. At least it, it does to me. I like that degree of variety. So, hmm. But, yeah, that's skills for you, man. They do add something to the game. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about skills in the future in some future podcasts where we're going to be probably next podcast, just to tease you, we'll be talking about uh, knowledge skills and adjudication in letting out lore and information in your campaign. So yes. stick around for that one. So, yeah, that'll we'll be touching bases on these skill-related uh, issues as you release information into a campaign. Release the information. <laughs> <laughs> it is that time. Release the Kraken. Yeah. Um, also, to wrap this up, thank you again, Skills and Proficiencies, for helping us adjudicate those slippery slopes of what things that players want to do and that are outside the purview of hitting things with or blasting them with spells. Uh, so, it's easier than it was in the old days, and I'm not upset about that. Uh, I... I I can roll with the punches, uh, whichever way the wind blows. And uh, also, uh, just a heads up, uh, I think uh, next Wednesday, uh, yes. we're going to be doing a actual, where you're going to be able to see us. Oh, us. and I pity you. Oh, uh, I, I apologize in advance because, you know, we are the uh, radio faces of gaming podcasts. Yeah. So you, you yeah. will have the opportunity to be subjected to our actual visual presence uh, via live cast at our local game shop. Yep, so we'll have information for more of that on Tuesday. As I direct. But, uh, <laughs> we'll give you a final warning to duck and cover. That's right. But uh, <laughs> either way, thanks for sticking around for this. <clears throat> Although you may be comforted, I will not, in fact, be wearing the kimono. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, well, that, that's a mental imagery that you have to deal with. Um, <laughs> our apologies. So, I will spiritually be doing jumping jacks in the kimono, but I will not be actually wearing it. So, um, well, all right. But yeah, thanks for sticking around with us, and hope you enjoyed. As always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, or just want to criticize us, or just give us a shout-out, feel free to do so on any of the normal social media platforms. Oh, we're all over the place. On. Yeah, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just find us where you can, and just give us a shout-out. We haunt the usual locales. So, until then, uh, have a great weekend, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. So... May the dice, dice always roll, roll in, in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.